the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Remember the phrase we repeated? Let's say it together again. For the glory of God. I want you to understand something, that God does love you, and God knows what you're walking through. But He wants you to see both His love and His knowledge through the filter of His glory. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Take your copy of God's Word with me and turn to the Gospel of John. John chapter 11 is where we'll find our scripture reading today. As I welcome you, I want you to do me a favor and welcome those that are joining us from our campus at Six Mile. We call that Mission Hill Six Mile. Welcome them today. Also want to remind you that Easter is coming. We're two weeks from Easter weekend. And on Easter weekend, there are many opportunities for you to worship together with us. Certainly every Wednesday night, we have House of Prayer. That House of Prayer on Easter week will be a tremendous House of Prayer as we focus in on those last days of the life of Jesus. And then we'll come together two different times. You'll have opportunities on Good Friday at 12 noon, right next door in our Family Life Center. We'll have a noon service that's followed by a Chick-fil-A lunch. That's got to be great. And then on our Mission Hill Six Mile Campus, we have our Friday evening Good Friday service that begins with a meal and then is followed by a service in the worship center there. And then throughout the weekend, we have all kinds of opportunities for you to worship. Saturday night at 6, then we have three services here that Sunday morning. I want to come back to that and then a service on each of our other two campuses, Mission Hill Six Mile, Mission Hill Lake Carroll. But on Easter Sunday, we've got a treat for you. We're starting a new service at 8 a.m. in what we will call the chapel. Now, you may not know where the chapel is, but it's right here next to us. We have been referring to it as Ed 1, but it's referred to from the beginning of our church as the chapel. That was the first worship center of our church. So in the chapel, there'll be a very simple service uh, that is a uh, traditional service with hymns and uh, piano-led worship, uh, a message that will then end right prior to this service at 9. So that begins, we're going to do that for six weeks to see if that meets a need in our community. That's beginning at 8 o'clock on Easter Sunday morning. Hey, let me ask you a question as we dive into God's Word. Have you ever been frustrated with God? Have you ever asked God to do something that He seemed unwilling to do, at least in the moment? And then maybe the most important question, have you ever come to the place where you've said this, I want my life to be a testimony of God's glory. I want my life to glorify God, however it looks, whatever that means, and wherever that leads. That's the focus 
of today's passage. The glory of God. I want you to see part of one verse in John chapter 11. Look at verse 4. Jesus said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So maybe before we do anything else today, we need to begin by asking this question. Is Jesus glorified in and through my life? Is Jesus glorified in and through my life? Ultimately, we glorify Jesus as we trust who he is. And we believe that he does what he said he did. And that he did everything he said he was going to do. He makes that clear in another verse. Look down at John 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am. One of Jesus' I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus asks this question, do you believe this? Listen again to the question of Jesus. Do you believe this? I want to challenge you that as we open God's Word, you really need to ask each and every week as you look at the words written in the pages of Scripture, do I believe this? Do I believe this to be the truth? The Word of God? Do I believe this can change my life? And if I believe this, what difference does this make? Everyone has to decide whether or not they believe that Jesus is who he says he is and whether or not Jesus did what he said he did. Now let me remind you of how we got to where we are. John chapter 8, Jesus confronts the woman called an adultery. And he stirs society in that moment. When he forgives her and he challenges the men who'd gathered around to stone her to look at the sin in their life. John chapter 9, as we looked last week, Jesus heals the man who is blind from birth. He demonstrates his miraculous power in the healing of that man. And then John chapter 10, what Jesus has done in those two previous incidents has so enraged the Jews around him that they have attempted to stone Jesus. It's that context that we find John chapter 11. I want to remind you, when your life begins to look like Jesus, it will also look counter to the culture around you, and there will be those who don't like the way that it looks. So I want to pray and just ask that God would do a couple things as we gather. First, that he would give us ears to hear his word, and that as a result of receiving his word, our lives would begin to look like him. And that when our lives begin to look like him and we are challenged by the culture around us, we would stand willing and ready to go forward for his glory, however that looks. So let's bow our head and pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to say thank you for giving us life this morning. You have woken us up. You have put bread on our table. You've allowed us to come to a place where we can worship you. And for that, we're grateful. So in this moment, we simply ask, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to receive? Would you give us a mind that is willing to listen and respond 
as you teach us and grow us and change us. Lord, we recognize when that happens, when we begin to look more like you and less like this world, the world will not like that. So give us courage to go forth, having been changed by you, unbound by fear and the things that would hold us back. So Lord, I ask that in order to do that, you would change us today. And for somebody here, change them for all eternity. God, so let the words I say and even my thoughts please you in these moments, for you're my strength, you're my redeemer, and I ask this in your name, Jesus, amen. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, I don't want you to miss this. As we open the pages of Scripture, we know who Jesus loves. We're introduced here again to Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And when the Son of God was on this earth, Scripture records that he loved hanging out with this family. For all of us, there are places we go where we just feel at home. For me, there are people I'm around that I feel like I can just let down my guard. I I walk into their house or I walk into their presence and I just feel at home. We get a sense that that's what happened with Jesus when he was at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus in Bethany. What's interesting is John has not yet told the story of Mary anointing Jesus with the oil. That happens in the next chapter, in chapter 12. But John, looking back in his life, inspired by the Holy Spirit as he's writing down these accounts of Jesus, he's letting us know that this is someone special. These are people that Jesus loved deeply. And I want you to hear something today. As we open the pages of Scripture, we also know that Jesus loves you. Jesus has loved you with an unmistakable, irresistible, uncompromising kind of love. He loves you in a way that It transforms you. His love captivates you. His love makes you want to be around him. He loves you in the way that he loves this family. And it was in the context of love that Jesus uttered these next words. Look at verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. Say, for the glory of God. Remember, that's the question we're asking. Am I living my life for the glory of God? Is Jesus being glorified in and through my life? It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. When the English Standard Version translates, this illness does not lead to death, this is one place I would say it's better translated in some other versions because other versions say this does not end in death. 
Jesus was not saying that he will not die. We're going to know, in fact, that Lazarus does die. But Jesus is saying, death is not the end of the journey. Now, we know in light of the resurrection, death is not the end of the journey for any of us. But Jesus was saying for Lazarus, even on this side of eternity, death is not the end of the journey. Jesus doesn't diminish the reality of death. Death is a part of this cycle of life. And it's always difficult. You're going to see that it's difficult for this family to walk through the death of one they love. It's difficult for Jesus to see the death of the one he loves. But death is a real part of life. And there's a sense in which we're grateful for that, right? Because of sin, we've discovered that this life is full of pain and problems and illness and suffering. And death is the escape from that on this side of heaven. Death is where that ends for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Were it not for death, the illness, the pain, the suffering caused by sin would never end. But in the words of Jesus, death is not the focus. What's the focus? Remember the phrase we repeated? Let's say it together again. For the glory of God. I want you to understand something, that God does love you, and God knows what you're walking through, but he wants you to see both his love and his knowledge through the filter of his glory. So understand this truth. Just look at this statement. Yes, God loves you, but some people talk to you, and all they want to talk about is the love of God. God is love. Let's just wrap ourselves around the love of God. Others want you just to focus on the knowledge of God. God is sovereign. He knows everything. Just rest in God's sovereignty. Both of these are so important. God loves us and he's a knowledgeable, sovereign God, but he wants you to look at his love and his knowledge of your life through the lens of the reason he came so that God might be glorified, that the son of God, Jesus, might be glorified and that you might give him glory in your life. If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. You need to ask this question. What is the glory of God? In fact, let's ask that question. Let's say, what is the glory of God? Well, I'm glad you've asked. You need to know that. The glory of God speaks of the renown of God, the name and the fame of God, His greatest. It speaks of the pleasure of God. I love the definition John Piper gives. He says, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and the greatness of God's manifold perfections. The greatness of God's manifold perfections. And then he also gives us that statement that is often quoted. God is most satisfied in us when we are most glorified in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
So when a circumstance or a situation or anything in our lives bring God's glory, it means those circumstances and those situations and events cause others to see the infinite beauty and the greatness and the manifold perfections of God. So again, I want you to ask that question. We've been asking it from the beginning. Does my life give Jesus glory? With what I'm walking through, do other people look at me and say, hey, I see what you're walking through, but beyond what you're walking through, I see the greatness. I see the manifold perfection of the God you profess to serve. I I fear at the heart of the challenge that many of us who profess Christ have is the fact that our lives don't exhibit this kind of glory for God. When we walk through the challenges, the suffering, the illness, the difficulties of this life, our, our lives look too often exactly like those who don't even profess to know him. But our lives would be different if we begin to ask this question about everything we face. How can this circumstance, how can this situation in life, how can this event that I don't want, that I didn't ask for, that I wish wouldn't have happened, how can it bring God glory? Because we also know in Scripture from 1 Corinthians ten thirty one that everything we do, whether we eat or, or drink or, or whatever we do, we should do all for the glory of God. Is your life bringing God glory? That's the focus, for the glory of God. Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Isn't it great that the love of Jesus is made so clear? So, When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, teacher, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. You're going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant he was taking a rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, so that we may die with him. A few things to note before we move on. It's in the context of love. Remember, it said that Jesus deeply loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's in the context of love that we find a two-letter curious word. The word so. As I was studying this passage, I I wanted to know, is this there in the original language that we have? Is this there in the Greek? And in fact, it is. So it could be translated, therefore. God loved them. Jesus loved them. Therefore, he didn't do what they asked. Therefore, he said, ah, let's stay a couple more days. Therefore, he waited. 
It was the love of God that motivated him to wait and not do that which had been asked of him. Oh, dear friend, please wake up and hear that reality because it's applicable to some of our lives. In this case, it was the love of God that caused Jesus to resist doing what had been asked of him. Here's a fact. According to Scripture, divine love does not always shield us from pain and suffering and even death. How can this be? Isn't that what love means? Doesn't love always say, I'll do whatever you ask? Doesn't love say, I'll be right there? Doesn't love say, yes? Apparently not always for Jesus. Because for Jesus, like everything else, love has to be viewed through the filter of God's glory. And that's where I want you to tune in closely because if you're not careful, you'll miss what may be the greatest lesson of this passage of Scripture. If we really want to know how to love like God loves, if we want to love like Jesus, we will get to the place in our lives where we view things not based on how we feel in a moment, but based on what brings God the greatest glory. God's love, divine love, is not about emotions and about feelings. It's about what points others to Jesus, what points others to God. We begin to love like Jesus. We begin to show and express our love by others, for others, by determining attitudes and actions that bring God glory. I want you to see what happens in verse 7. In verse 7, the disciples had missed that truth that I encourage you not to miss. And, and so they say to Jesus, well, well, time out. Remember what just happened. We were just in Judea. We were just where you're telling us to go. And last time we were there, the folks had stones in their hand, and they were aiming them in our direction. We almost got stoned. And you want to go back there? The disciples were concerned for the safety of Jesus and their safety. They should have been. But here Jesus teaches us another important lesson. If we're living for the glory of God, neither our safety nor our comfort should be our primary concern. Do you understand that truth? That means that much of what we hear modern teachers teach about supposed Christianity can't be true. Because many teach, if you just do this, or if you just say this prayer, if you just live this way, everything will be okay. And if everything is not okay, that means you're not doing something right. Whereas Scripture says, even when you're doing things right, if your focus is the glory of God, sometimes your path leads through difficult moments. It's not your safety nor your comfort that is the greatest concern in your life. Sometimes you have to resolve that the most comfortable and the safest place to be is the center of God's will, regardless of how that looks in your life circumstances. And then we see that disciples are just confused. Because Jesus had tried to make a point to them when he said Lazarus was asleep, and they didn't get it. It went right over their heads. 
So we're confused about whether or not Jesus is talking of one who is dead. They had heard truth, but the truth had been misunderstood. So Jesus makes clear, Lazarus is dead. Now this is important for a few reasons. First, it lets us know that what we're about to see, the miracle, really is miraculous. There were those in that day, just as there are theologians today, that try to look at the acts of Jesus, the signs of Jesus, and say, ah, it wasn't really a big deal. They do that about Lazarus. They do that about the resurrection of Jesus himself. He wasn't really dead. He was asleep. So Jesus says, no, he is dead. What can a dead man do? What can a dead man do? That's not a hard question. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to MissionHillChurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at MissionHillChurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.